Hello and welcome to Board Games Ireland podcast and this is a very special edition because it's our BiggieCon special. I know it's been <laughs> over a month since BiggieCon. Uh, it's just taken me a while to sort through. We had so much material to sort through and also I caught gout apparently. So, <laughs> so I've got that going on for me. So how, 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 are, how are all of you? Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, so feeling a bit better now and I have finally... Uh, edited all the audio from the day of BiggieCon and uh, I'll be playing that for you in a bit. Uh, but first let me take a chance to thank uh, Peter and Owen who were my co-organisers on the day uh, for BiggieCon and also to Gabriella for organising the Bake Off event that we had on the day. Uh, thanks to 30 Seconds who supplied some prizes to us and then also to the Board Games Network for supporting the raffle which made it possible for us to have uh, probably a much bigger raffle than we had the previous year. Uh, thanks to Rob and David for running his is movable type tournament I think uh, that was quite enjoyed and I'm seeing movable type uh, constantly being played at the meetups now so it's fast becoming the new Avalon uh, hopefully I don't get sick of it as much as uh, <laughs> Avalon <laughs> not that Avalon's a bad game it's just I've played it too much I've yet to play movable type at all uh, so I really need to get on that um, so yeah yeah so that's basically yeah, I think the con went really well uh, we'll most likely we'll be doing it again next year um, uh, I'm happy to hear any feedback people have on it um, uh, what you think we could do to be better or anything like that uh, I have been looking around other locations as well uh, but in general everything's much more expensive um, in Dublin City Centre and ideally I would like to keep it in Dublin City Centre and also keep it cheap uh, so to make it as accessible to everyone as possible and that means probably doing it in the Teachers Club again uh, one big big bit of feedback from me anyway and probably from most people is it gets damn warm in that room on the day so uh, if we are doing it well when we are doing it next year I would probably suggest maybe if we move it a little further back into the year maybe November uh, when it's a bit cooler I think November might be nice because it's also our birthday in November so we may be doing something this November as well just to recognise because we're actually five years old Board Games Ireland this November so watch out to see if we're going to organise anything for that maybe I will buy a cake in the shape of a um, of, a, of an Avalon <laughs> Avalon cake um, so uh, yeah, yeah. So again, yeah. Thank you to everyone who came along. Uh, I think it was a great day, really good fun. And uh, also, yeah, like I said, we had recorded a lot of material today, and that was thanks to a friend of mine, uh, Norma Burke, who uh, volunteered her time to go and talk to a lot of you uh, on the day. And so I'm just going to play the segments and that she, that she recorded now. Uh, I think it sounds quite good once I've I'd edited it all together. It's it, it flows nicely and it gives a sort of a nice little sort of snapshot of BiggieCon. 2018. So here it is. So hello, I'm Norma. I'm here at the Teachers Club. I've been asked by Gavin to do a little report for him on Bikicon. That's not what it's called. We're going to find out in just a moment. So this is the room. There's basically a whole floor full of tables full of people playing games and we're going to go and talk to some of them but first of all we're going to have a word with the founder Gavin so I'm here with Gavin founder of Bikicon what are we calling it uh, well it's yeah it's whatever pronunciation is in your heart that's the true pronunciation so it can be different for everyone so the idea was that it stands for Board Games Ireland Convention and it was just a placeholder name for a bit and then we I, I just kind of grew fond of it I like the fact that it was hard to pronounce I like I like I like confusing branding that's my kind of my shtick <laughs> so you guys you meet up you have a meet up twice a week playing games but this is an annual this is the second year I believe that you have this huge event yes because we normally meet up in a pub which can be a little bit noisy sometimes there's television on there's always music on and like yeah particularly with the World Cup recently it was like really busy and it's hard to play games in that environment now Alfie Burns are really good to us and they have lovely big tables and stuff which is essential for board games but yeah once a year now we're going to be doing a, our own convention where we have a big hall like this one and uh, yeah anyone can play whatever they want you have a lot of time to play the really long games um, and yeah there's no music playing there's no TVs on and it's yeah it's just you can just can concentrate on the games and having fun with other people and so the hall I mean it is packed out here people are still arriving 
Some people are still arriving with baked goods because you can actually get some raffle tickets if you bring a cake. Yes, this is, was uh, an initiative run by one of our other organisers, Gabriella. Uh, she's a big fan of the Great British Bake Off TV show, which everyone who's ever seen it is. I'm a big fan as well. And yes, yeah, so the idea was people would come and do bring along baked goods to some. We did two meetups previously where people bring along baked goods, and we decide who's the best one and we give a prize. And uh, yeah, we, it worked really well. So we decided to do it the con this year. So anyone who brought baked goods along got uh, some raffle tickets, and there will be some prizes later for best bakes. I'm hearing very good things about the brownies, though. Uh, so I think they might be. Uh, it's between you and me. I think they might be a shoe in. <laughs> um, and there's a shoe pastry is really a shoe in. There was no shoe pastry. So. <laughs> oh dear. We've we've lowered ourselves to to pastry puns at this point. So I'm going to be talking to. There's a few people you you're going to point out to me. I think um, someone who's designed and made a, a game. Uh, yes, yeah, so, so a lot of board game developers come and test out their games here before they uh, put them out there. Uh, so Kickstarter is a great way to get the games developed because it means you can make sure that your costs of developing the board game are going to be met before you actually go to the printers and get all the bits made and everything because it is costly to do all of that. So if you can get your guaranteed sales before you print it, it's a great mechanism and board games are something that's really big on Kickstarter. Well, I'm going to have to chat to some of the people involved in that and also maybe catch up with some people playing games. I believe your podcast co-host is around here playing games somewhere. Yes, Mr. Avocado, Frank O'Connor, is around. <laughs> uh, don't, I will die on the hill. That game that he is playing is a Gestalt game and I will die on that hill in the defense of Gestalt, referring, that's my terminology for that type of game. It's a Gestalt game. <laughs> Well, the first person I'm going to speak to, actually, because I can see him approaching, is one of your co-organisers, Peter. So, Peter, you're one of the co-organisers of the conference. Is that, does a lot of work go into setting up what's here today? Uh, there has been, and we've, we've, we're building on the previous years as well. So it gets a little bit easier the second time, the third time that you've done this. And the fact that we're doing it on a, on a weekly basis uh, helps as well. But kind of it's a good sign that things are running smoothly it just it's it takes a lot of organization to get there um is there anything that can go wrong in a day like today yeah yeah uh, the odd person maybe getting too drunk getting too into their games and things like this but look it's it's a very pretty well behaved crowd should we say and things like that um as long as you've got enough people, people playing games, uh, people get included. So we try to take a bit of a focus on new people who come down, making sure that they get a chance to get to the table as well. And so some of the games are more competitive in nature than other games. So I was just there with the guys playing round one of Game of Thrones and they described it as having got bloodthirsty. Are there any games that are not suitable for today? Because <laughs> they're just, they could get too volatile. Um, with regards to, are they too competitive? Are there any games that you'd be like, oh, we wouldn't have those today because they're, you know... I, I, well, not, not so much. There's, there's one game that we, we don't tend to, uh, or we ask people not to play, which is Cards Against Humanity, which is more down to, look, it's, it's just about vulgarity, humour through vulgarity, which is fine for some people, but typically we're playing in groups of people and we don't know everybody, so people taking offence and stuff like that. That's the only restriction that we have. A game that you mentioned a moment ago, Game of Thrones, as per the TV show and the books, it's not about hugs and kisses, it's about screwing over your neighbor, your, in some cases, literally your brother and sister in that particular series, but it's, it's about competition. And a lot of games are orientated that way, but there, equally there are games that are just about the social, you, you, you work together to try and achieve something. So you get, you get a, enough of a representation for, for each camp, I think. And it's quite a mix of different uh, nationalities here today as well. Do you find that the sort of the gaming tends to attract people from from different countries for a particular reason? I think in other countries this has been um, a, maybe a little bit more mature um, sessions along these lines. Germany, for example, has one particular uh, uh, yearly meeting, which is seen as the European centralized or the the big convention for for once a year for. Uh, Vendors, sorry, took me a second, and they get 250,000 people going to that. So, when you're working with that, people from Germany are a lot more familiar with board games. Um, there is another aspect where if people are coming to another city, they're they're looking for things to do, and they might have had a childhood uh, interest in some of these things, and they're just kind of okay. Well, look, people are playing board games. It's in a pub. They serve good beer, so 
we'll give it a try on that basis. So I think there's a number of factors as to why we get the large representation from a multinational basis, um, but I think they're reasonably understandable. We, I'd say we're probably running at about 40% Irish, 60% uh, people from different countries. Um, we're, we're growing year on year, and, but that, that kind of ratio seems to be perpetuating. Dublin has a lot of uh, people coming here as well, which is another aspect too. If we were trying this, uh, I've been involved with some other groups um, outside of Dublin itself, and the numbers are skewed the other way. They're much more um, down to the, much more in favour of uh, native Irish people at it. Um, uh, and some of the other groups, which are not terribly far removed from Dublin, but just when there's, it's just the, the amount of people that are in Dublin that uh, were, they're not Irish originally, um, because there's so much, there's, there's a lot of work going on basically. So. And can it ever get, do you think, to the stage of like 250,000 or these kind of other places where it's huge? Uh, we, see, we see potential for growth. <laughs> well, ten, ten year plan? Yeah, yeah. So it, it, took forever, it took a very, very long time for them to get to that number, but we are, we're increasing year on year. So we've, we've increased since last year because this is our second year running the actual convention itself. But um, we're frequently, we get uh, around 60 to 70 people twice a week uh, at our regular meetups. And that's been growing up from, that was 20 initially. It started out at four people uh, five years ago, and that's up to a very healthy, um, regular crowd at this stage. And we, we always get new people as well. So, yes, there's growth. Um, 250 million, we're, we'd be talking a reasonable percentage of the population of Ireland to try and achieve that. But yeah, why not? Let's shoot for the stars. And you are combining drinking with board games, so it's so you're not excluding um, one of Ireland's favourite pastimes. In <laughs> <laughs> not if you want to hit two hundred fifty thousand, you can't do that. But yeah, look, it is an aspect. So it, it does have its impacts on the group with regards to suitability for children and things like this. Um, we will let kids come if they're supervised by their parent. And these are just factors that have to be taken into account. Um, there are similar style groups that run and they're alcohol-free events as well. And they, they organize in the city center and around Temple Bar as well. They're on a once a month basis. So um, it, it makes it a little bit easier, I think, and it helps people get on and uh, maybe get the inhibitions down so they can really play out those comp competitive games and really try to screw people over. And what's your favorite game to play? Um, I'm kind of between Tyrants of the Underdark, which is a card-based game set in the mm. Dungeons and Dragons world. Nothing directly related to Dungeons and Dragons, just set in that kind of lore. And another one over there called Kemet, which is an area control based game, which is set in around an Egyptian kind of uh, Egyptian mythologies type setting. And do you like the ones where it requires more improv and input from the players? No, I, I prefer the direct competition against people. Um, you, yes, there's, there's plenty of people who like prefer the social side of stuff and the, the ad-lib. They have a place for me. They're not my favorite, but I, they, I still can play some of them. Um, I, but it's, for me, it's more about uh, trying to compete against other people. So just tell me how the game's going so far. Well, we've been sitting here for about two hours now and we're on round one. We're playing Game of Thrones, so we'll probably be here for another three hours. Everything was nice at the start, but now it's at the end of round one and already we're making alliances and starting. She's going to stab me in the back. He's looking at me with blood in his eyes. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm in a good position, though. <laughs> and can I ask you, is that typical for board games, that this aggression that you're referring to, or is that this particular game? It's this particular game. This particular game does not breed uh, uh, companionship. It's a Game of Thrones, so... It's bloodthirsty by nature. Exactly. So I'm just with Frank at the moment, and he's just going to have his move, and then we'll have a little chat to him. Yes, I'm just going to have my move now. Is it my go already? Yeah, it's your go. Sorry. Just for the listeners out there, we're playing um, a combination of Century Spice Road and Century Eastern Wonders. Um, Gavin, as you, anyone who's listened to the podcast might have um, understood, wants to call this combination Gestalt, which I believe is incredibly wrong. Um, it just sounds like a sneeze. The correct, um, the correct, thank you. The re correct word is portmanteau, um, but Gavin insists it's Gestalt. Anyway, I better take my move. Um, so I have um, a number of yellow blocks, a red block, and a green block, and I have to make the move that will allow me to convert those in the best way. So I have to think about it. 
So what do you want to know? What's your questions? What's your star sign? What's my star sign? I am, well, which one? Chinese or European? Chinese. Chinese, monkey. That is a cool star sign, much cooler than the European one, which is... <laughs> much cooler than the European one, which is Taurus, the bull. Practical, dependable, dull. So if you, so you're half monkey and half bull, is that the body of a bull with the head of a monkey? Or the body of a monkey with the head of a bull? I believe that they're intermingled um, throughout the DNA. It's not really a head-body issue. It's more of a, a co-minkling of bull and monkey. So I'm either a bunkie or a mole. I'm a bunkie. It's my star sign, is bunkie. Between now and the podcast, Frank will do a, a graphic representation of what that might look like. Yes, I'm doing, I'm doing it right now, listeners. Um, you just have to imagine what that looks like. So how long have you been gaming, Frank? Uh, three years, almost exactly. Um, it's Gavin's fault. He got me um, um, hooked on board games. Um, he sort of sidled up to me and asked me what I like to play um, Avalon. And um, I didn't know what that meant. And so he brought me in. And now here I am. And even being interviewed while playing games, it's like there's nothing I can do. I can't even, I just have to play games now to feel normal. Um, just, just, just ordinary. Whereas before, you know, I was free of them. But now Gavin keeps pushing them onto me. So it's gone a bit meta now. I'm interviewing the host of this podcast playing a game for his own podcast. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. That's the trouble with podcasts. They get all wrapped up in knots. I don't have any more cards, do I? I'd have to buy a card now. You can acquire a card. Okay, so he's out of cards, right? And they're both face down, so he's already used them as movement actions. Basically, there's an interesting action where you can basically play a card and then use it again to move on the hexes. Or even just discard it directly from his hand, face down into the discard pile. It's like there's like two discard piles, which is a little confusing. Um, basically, this is called Century Spice, Century Road, um, Century from Sand to Sea, I believe this combination is called. And it's basically Spice Road is all about the cards. Eastern Wonders is all about the hexes. And this is all hexes and cards at the same time. And how they interact is something we're still figuring out because about three of us here have played both games before. Um, Frank has not played any of the Century games before, so this is interesting. So we're just figuring out as we go along. So there we go. Uh, These look a little bit like the mass cards you get with a prayer on the back. They look a bit like what? You know, the mass cards where there's like a prayer on the back when someone dies and they send out... I suppose they do. I don't, I, I don't really know what those things look like, but I can imagine them being used as mass cards. For, they've got kind of... These, the artwork is sort of retro 1970s. It looks slightly airbrushed. It's the kind of thing you would find in a church, um, attempting to look like a fresco, but sort of failing. Um, so what, what were we saying there before? Oh, yes, yeah, so Gavin sucks you into the world. Of board games, and I've been playing them for three years now, and I'm thoroughly addicted to them. <laughs> so do you go to the twice-a-week meetups? Oh, yes, all the time, yes. Except for when the World Cup was on. Do you guys talk to each other over Christmas, all, all you gamers? Do you get withdrawal symptoms over the holiday season? Um, no, we never talk to each other at Christmas. In fact, I make a point of not talking to Gavin at Christmas or holidays. And so what happens then? Do you like, have to then revert to like bog-standard Scrabble and Monopoly in the holiday season? Um, I, I, everything is a game. So what you learn from board games is that all of life is a board game. For instance, just going into your house, you need keys to open the door. You have to keep those keys in a certain place and know where that place is. Chances are that most times you'll get that right, but with the wrong roll of the dice, you might leave your keys in the car and not get in the door, and then you realize the game's going badly for you. Well, that's a very deep philosophic take on it, in which case, Frank, how's the game of life going? Um, it's very similar to this game that I'm playing now, in that it's incredibly confusing. I don't really understand the rules. I'm not sure what I'm doing. Occasionally I move something somewhere else and um, nothing much happens. Um, any thought, do you agree with that, about the games replicating life? As in this game here being confusing, nobody knows what's doing? Well, it's the first time we've played it, so yeah, briefly, I mean... Really, well, Frank should have played one or both of the other games before doing this one, but he was free, so here we are. So we're all, this is all a learning experience anyway. 
I will say though, I did have, I did uh, win uh, Spice Road earlier by over, was it 30 points earlier? He made us cry, he was very mean, very mean. And he threw his pieces at us after he won. But his brownies, no, his, his brownies are amazing. Did you make the brownies? Uh, yeah, I made the, there's two people who made brownies. I made the non-vegan ones with the strawberries yeah. and Maltesers in them. Uh, they're okay, the strawberries made them a bit soggy in areas, so... I haven't had those yet. Are there any left I have to get? Uh, I think there's a few of my brownies left by the looks of it, yeah. Okay, Frank, I'm afraid this interview has to end. <laughs> but thanks so much for your time. Uh, that's okay, I'm very relieved. I didn't bake that much. I'm American and I'm lazy, so I got a boxed mix of a cinnamon cake, which is very hard to find around here anyway, so I figured it'd be a good treat to bring. And you've got two raffle tickets in return? Yes, I did. <laughs> so all the booty for the raffles up here, what have you got your eye on? Uh, nothing in particular. I mean, the movable type I've heard about, but I haven't had a chance to play yet. Uh, the the Appar Apparently New Angeles is the most expensive one, over 70 euros. Does that nudge you in that direction? Uh, it depends on the gameplay. I don't really care how much they cost. I care how much fun they are to play. <laughs> and I think that uh, Taken Noko, I think I've played that one before, and that's been a lot of fun. And I've heard that Jaipur is also fun. So uh, any of those would please me, and I'm sure they're not expensive either. <laughs> So I'm just joined now by Robin. He's just um, come out of a tournament that he was running. What, what was that, Robin? Yeah, we just had a, move, a tournament for movable type. It's a game I made that came out about two months ago. This was the first ever tournament for it. So we had seven people involved uh, who were just attending the convention. They hadn't played it before, so it was very, very casual and fun. I taught the game. That was really fast. And then we played it, which took about half an hour. And then we had a winner, first place after one game. So. Uh, it was just a fun, bit of fun, really, a, a, a way to spice up the convention, you know. So. so you're a keen gamer and you're part of this whole uh, gaming community, but you also run another group which is involved in developing games. And you yourself have, I think, got two games. That, tell us how you kind of went from playing into designing games and about how your other group works. So uh, I started playing games maybe about six or seven years ago. I started designing games maybe five years ago or something like that. And it's just um, an aspect of my personality, I guess, where whenever I get into something, I like to try and make things around it as well. So like, you know, music or, or reading or whatever, I, I t try to make music and write things. And it's the same with games, you know? Uh, I'd be playing games and thinking, oh, I'd love to try this with that game, you know, or try to tweak it in this way or make a variant or something. So I started making my own games. When I moved to Dublin, um, there was a guy here called Manuel who was running a, a, a group called Playtest Dublin and they were meeting once a month playtesting and creating games together. Manuel left and I took over the reins of that group. So yeah, we've been going strong now about four years, uh, making games every month. A bunch of designers meet up or people who just want to try weird games and we just see what happens, you know. Uh, we're all different kinds, you'll see the, uh, you'll see like big long strategy games, lots of little family games, RPGs and everything in between. And so games can go from the simple, we're gonna, we've got one here in front of us now that's your latest one, movable type, which is a card game, up to the more complex ones. And I understand that you ran a Kickstarter campaign and you know, it's, it's big business. People have raised like $12 million as, on some of these kind of fundraising campaigns. Yeah, I didn't quite raise $12 million. That would be nice. But um, How much did you get? Uh, I think it was 12,000 euros, something like that, which is enough to pay for a print run, you know? Uh, so Movable Type was actually my third campaign that I ran, the most recent one there. Uh, there was two of the much smaller ones before that. And, uh, but yeah, it's a great uh, system for indie makers, people who wouldn't normally have the facilities to, to do a large print run can get it out in front of people first, they can decide if they like it, and then they can pay for it you know, as, a, as a crowd as, as, as such. Um, so especially in board games, where you need to have that initial capital, it's a real lifesaver. And it really has like, allowed the indie, kind of punk rockish uh, board game industry to kind of thrive, you know? And now you, when you look around, there's just so many cool, weird, niche board games being made. 
And how many people would you need to co- to get a board game off the ground? Uh, well, you'd need a. You can design a board game by yourself if you want to. They're not as complicated to make as a video game. So design-wise, yeah, yourself. You need a community to help test it and develop it and refine it. So that's what the Playtest Dublin is all about. Um, we, you know, have maybe 20, 30 people who cycle through that and help you, you know, refine and give ideas and improve and improve and improve. Beyond that, you might need help also with things like the logistics of running a Kickstarter campaign. They're really, really complicated and a bit of a headache and quite stressful. We have a group in Ireland called Celtic Cardboard, who are kind of like an industry uh, co-op as such, where we can give advice to each other and learn from each other's mistakes. So between us, we're running maybe three, four Kickstarters a year, and we can kind of help refine the actual Kickstarter process. Then, actually making the game though, manufacturing the game, you need about 600 people to say, I want a copy of this, please. You know, and only when you get that critical mass of people supporting the idea can you uh, pay for the manufacturing. And so would you have been going out to people in your own community? Who would have been the 600 people that supported your Kickstarter? Uh, so you, it's helpful to have like an online presence so you can tap into more than just the local community. The local community definitely helps. Um, there's lots of people here who are willing to take a, take a chance on a cheap, locally made game. But the bulk, 95% of the backers will have to come from elsewhere, you know. So I'm quite fortunate that I've got a bit of an online presence and I've got a bit of a reputation for my games as well. And I can kind of leverage that a little bit to get the, to get the critical numbers that you need. And that's coming from outside Ireland? Usually, yeah. yeah. And when you say you have an online presence, what, on what platform is that? Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, Insta? I'm only on Twitter, but uh, I've, got, I've got a couple of thousand followers. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter, at Robin Writing. You can come talk to me, and I'm very nice. Um, but also, like, you know, I, uh, because I've got a bit of a reputation, uh, when I launch a game, I can also kind of leverage that, and other people will kind of retweet me and talk to me and things like that. Just last week, I was tweeted by one of the biggest board game blogs in the world, and that made me very excited, and that was a new first to me, so maybe that will continue. And what is the kind of breakdown between the sort of more indie DIY kind of side of things that you're involved in, and then the sort of the big board game manufacturers? I couldn't tell you the exact like percentage breakdown between Kickstarter and, and, and more traditional publishing, um, but Kickstarter is an enormous part of, of board game publishing now. Um, You've got several big publishers who, rather than take a gamble, they will just take it to Kickstarter and see what happens. Or if they want to do something very special, like a special edition or like a collector's version of something, they'll take it to Kickstarter instead of doing a traditional route. Um, sure, though, Kickstarter is mainly kind of more indie people uh, uh, and kind of like more artistic kind of attempts at games. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about Movable Type. Um, this is it's kind of this is a bit of a highbrow-looking game. It's got some quite literary figures there on the back. So Movable Type, it's a word game, uh, and the reason why you call it highbrow, I think, is it uses all of this artwork which is taken from like 18th-century, 19th-century novels from the British Library. Um, the reason why I did that was purely because it's all public domain. And they've got some beautiful, beautiful uh, um, bits of artwork in the in the in the library resources there. So we're just taking a little look at the cards here. So it's in a, a lovely box, and we've got some beautiful purple cards. And then um, so all these designs on the back, these um, sort of lithographic kind of prints, they look a little bit like they've come from the British Library. Yeah, these will be woodcuts, and they're all taken from the British Library archives. So they, all their archives are online, and I went and just searched through until I found ones that I liked for every layer. And then my wife is a graphic designer, so she took them and up, upscaled them, made them higher res, vector images. And because of this, actually, the British Library saw this uh, about a year and a half, two years ago. And they were really impressed, so they gave me a, an award, the British Library Lab Award, for the best use of library resources in a commercial product. Oh, congratulations. Thank you very much. It's a very, very niche award, like very, very small. (laughs) But um, it meant a lot to me 
personally to get recognition from the British Library, you know, and be able to go down to the, to the library and show it to them. And I got to give a talk on stage and things. And that was a bit of a dream come true for a 12-year-old Robin, you know. I was excited to be there. And just looking at the back of the box here as well, like you're listing people like Mark Twain, uh, William Shakespeare. How, how does the game itself work? Uh, so just quickly, the Mark Twain, William Shakespeare and all the other authors, there are 19 in the game. They're all a friend of mine who works, uh, a friend of mine who's a, an artist made those up for me to kind of echo the same style. And these were all chosen by the people who backed it on Kickstarter. So that was one of the rewards of if you back the game and you pre-order it, you get to have a bit of an input into how the final game works and how it's going to look. Um, so they got to choose 10 of those authors uh, uh, to put into this new edition. So the way the game works, it's a card drafting game. And what that is, card drafting is a, uh, it's very, very simple, but it's also a very modern mechanic. And what happens is it means that everyone plays at the same time. And it gives you lots of little but important decisions. If you think of like Scrabble, in Scrabble you just draw seven tiles or whatever at the start of your, your turn, and you're just stuck with them, and you make do. With movable type, instead you actually get, you get to choose your own letters from a subset of letters. And so it gives you those kind of pivotal, pivotal moments, and you get, you get to influence your own destiny in, in many ways. When you're playing around, you draft your letters, you choose your own letters, you then play a word using those cards that you've chosen, and then the player who had the, the best word in that round gets to take some cards from the table and put them into their score pile. And everyone gets a little bit of something. So everyone gets a little reward. You just get less and less. Uh, but the twist of the game is, after those first four rounds where you're choosing cards and scoring them, the winner is not the person with the biggest score pile. It's the person who then takes their score pile and can, turn into, and can then make it into the best word which means that you're always in the game. You don't lose until the very, very end. You know, like in Scrabble, if you're 100 points behind, you've lost the game, and you've got to kind of see it through. In movable type, you're always possibly winning, and because of that, I found it's done really, really well with like families, people with kids, or more casual players who might not be super competitive, but don't want to feel like they're just being getting kicked in a, you know, getting kicked out straight away. So it says here it's for one to six players aged eight plus, we both tick that box. Shall we give it a little go? So that's the end of the game. Robin won, even though I did actually represent quite well by winning three rounds. But in the end, because you have to make a word out of the cards that you have at the end, you won with what was your word? I had howled, which I think was 16 points. Which is a pretty good offering. I only had 12 with Swam. So, but for a first effort, not bad. Yeah, normally I let people win on their demo, but you were really competitive, so. Had to be taught a lesson. Basically, yeah, yeah. Well, I have to say I've really enjoyed the game. I think every aspect of it's really well thought out and looks really good. Um, yeah, it, for someone like me who is competitive, it's, it's got enough, to, but also kind of, I like literary things and word games, so I thought it, it kept your interest and it looked lovely, so yeah. Uh, hopefully it's got enough to, like, like I said, satisfy competitive people, but it's also got things in there which if you're a bit more casual, it should be, you know, there's, lots of, there's enough chance in there, and enough ways of coming back at the end, you know. Fingers crossed it, it satisfies those guys as well. So you're here today at the conference. Yeah. Have you been, were you here last year? I was here last year, yeah, and I've been at NaveCon, and yeah, so I'll go to any of the cons I can get here, here in Ireland. Uh, obviously, the, the big ones are in Germany and America. I'll tell you, in America and Germany, it's huge. Gen Con is only on last week in America, and they get about 200,000 people over four days. And the, big, the biggest cons are Gen Con and Origins, Origins in America. And then in Essen in Germany, uh, again, they get about 180,000 people. The whole city is booked out. So it's, it's huge in other countries. It's slow to take off in Ireland. But then again, most people, when you ask them about board games, they'll say Scrabble, they'll say Monopoly. But I mean, it's like someone saying to you, what kind of car do you drive? And you say, I, I drive a Model T Ford. The world has moved on the last 20 years. The new designers are just totally amazing compared to years ago. Monopoly, you go around circles. Uh, you see it being sold all over the place. People buy it for Christmas. Very few people play it. 
and if you get Oxford Street, the game's over. But still, people will continue to play for an hour. Uh, for no reason. Whereas all the modern board games, the new designers, these guys are kind of superstars in the board gaming industry. And the games can be as complex, as easy as you want. You can play a game from one person up to 32. You can have a lot of, a lot of younger people like the social gaming, which is kind of a interactive gaming, where it's more about your personality and yourself. Although you're playing a game, uh, it's about bluffing and trying to find out who's the traitor in the group. And there's a lot of talking and spiel, which kind of suits the Irish people because a lot of bluffing and crack and all that kind of thing. And then you can have the more advanced board games where they're playing down there, Twilight Imperium. That can take up to 8 to 12 hours. So there's a whole huge range of small games. Dice games take 5, 10, 15 minutes. You can have war games take up to 3 months to complete a whole campaign. So it's just huge, whatever way you want to go. And there's games for everyone. And why do you think it's so big in other countries or those specific countries you've mentioned? Well, Germany, the, after the war, the board gaming is probably huge in Germany because uh, after the war there was no... Uh, they got rid of all the soldiers and toys and guns and all that kind of thing. And board gaming uh, was became, I suppose, winter months. Uh, it's just a huge inclusive thing. Like you can sit down and play board game, and anyone can be from 12 to 80, and you can start playing with people you've never met, have a bit of crack with people, and everyone feels all inclusive. You know, it doesn't matter what color, what religion, whether you're, you're uh, you know, in a wheelchair, whether you're athletic, what, what age you are. Everyone can sit down and have fun together, and the games are so diverse. There's games about farming. There's games about making quilts. There's games about war, assassination, uh, building cars, going uh, ships, building railroads. So it's everything. Or even we've got some people here today playing Game of Thrones based on, of course, the famous TV franchise. And that was actually designed way before the Game of Thrones TV uh, show. That's actually the second edition. The first edition came out years before the show and they had uh, uh, part one, two and three. And this is the new edition which has come out since the show. Because everything Game of Thrones has taken off. But I mean, it's a very good game. It's about negotiation and area control. But there's a ton of other games that are about the same thing. But everyone, anyone that's into Game of Thrones loves the idea of it, you know? Do you think it's a particular type of person um, that is attracted to this? Or how, do, how did all these people get into it? Well, uh, Board Game Meetup, uh, uh, Board Game Ireland has a meetup page.com, uh, meetup.com, and uh, you know that's that's the way people meet there every Tuesday and Sunday. There's a meetup uh, in uh, Thomas Street, uh, I think, on Tuesdays, uh, also, and there's a few other meetups around the city where people are meeting up. A lot of people meet in houses. Some people feel more comfortable just playing with the same group. But as I say, uh, it's just getting bigger. And how long is it, like the last decade, the last, how long has this been, kind of this new iteration of type of game been going? Uh, probably about, I would say about 10, 15 years now. In Ireland? Yeah, well, uh, it, it, it was Germany that really kicked it off with the Euro games. There's, there's kind of two kind of classes of games. There's Euro games, which are the, Ameri uh, the European games, and they're kind of seen to be kind of cube pushers. A, lo a lot of, uh, you know, uh, bits of wood and maps and buildings and all that. Where in America, their class is the Ameritrash games, and they're all in-your-face attack. And loads of little miniatures and plastic figures. Looks great on the board. And in the last few years, there's kind of been an amalgamation of those and crossover between the two. And some people just prefer uh, Ameritrash, some prefer Euros. Euros can be seen as dry because uh, the game is a lot of wooden cubes and you're using your imagination to, uh, you know, uh, fit into the board game. Whereas Ameritrash games, there's lots of maps and buildings and soldiers and all, and it looks really cool and it's all in your face and attacking each other. But because uh, the last few years has been amazing, uh, like all the designers have come up with new ways of crossover and everything. And there's games for everything, as I say. There's, there's party games where people can sit and have a lot of fun together. So it's whatever you're into. I always think there's a game for everyone. You know, it's just you have to find what suits you and your group and your, you know, your friends or whatever. And so last question then. So you guys are all going to be here till midnight. Is there anything you're hoping to play later on or what are you hoping for the rest? My own games with me, so I'll probably play The Godfather, which is based on The Godfather movie. And I'll probably play uh, Fate of the Elder Gods, which is a kind of Cthulhu game, uh, you know, but there's a lot of what they call Scrooge in it, which means you can feck other people up 
which is kind of a, a lot of fun. You know, you mess people up. And I've already played Champions in Midgard, which is a worker placement set in the Viking Age. So, but as you can see over there, there's games about everything, literally everything. So I'm now with Robin, who is the founder of Board Game Network, which is an app, I believe, Robin. Yeah, it's a, an app to help you find players for board games. Uh, essentially, its primary purpose, uh, if you are looking for someone to play a specific game with, you would log into the app and put in the games that you like to play. You create an event, you click the button to find players, and it will matchmake you with other players of board games uh, and try to kind of suggest times and you can play together and hopefully like get you into a room so you can actually play some physical board games. And is this a Dublin-based app? It's going to be beyond Dublin, but to begin with, the beta that I've launched a couple weeks ago is, is primarily Dublin-focused. Um, so we have about 30-plus beta signups at the moment, uh, which, is, which is pretty good. Uh, and we're kind of hoping to expand pretty rapidly. Uh, and how does it work? Is it like meetup or something? You go onto the website, you, do you kind of start a conversation or is there something already there? How does it actually work if you come to the site? So when, when you kind of log in uh, and register an account, you sort of, you know, you, you basically create an event, you say the board games that you'd like to play and uh, there's a kind of a, an algorithm in the background that will match you up with the other uh, kind of people who have also got accounts on the site. You can also like invite people to games who don't have accounts. Uh, it'll like track you know when you're playing. It'll give reminder emails, send all that out, uh, make it easy to kind of get people together for a game. Uh, that's that's sort of. And do you kind of create a profile? Do you upload a photo? Do you give any information about yourself? Yeah, there's a there's a very basic profile with like a, a little pic, and you can kind of put a description in. But it's it's you know it, it's very bare bones at the moment. Kind of primary focus is mostly on the games. You know, it has a a list of I think we have. 60,000 games up there at the moment uh, that you can kind of say these are the games that I have, these are the games I want to play, uh, and it will like try to match you with people who either like exactly the same games or like similar games, uh, and you know try to be quite clever about like the the matching and how that happens. But hang on, if there's 30 people, they've got all these games, or you've uploaded them. Uh, so we're, we're actually uh, based off the the, uh, the very large Board uh, Game Geek websites database. That's what we're using to uh, to power the games. So there there are plenty of games to to put in and say that you have and you know kind of track your collection. And what do you think is the potential for this, or what's the aspiration going forward? Yeah, so I hope this will really like be an opportunity to expand the hobby, um, because essentially I think you know board games are great for. Uh, meeting people and, and kind of getting you know in a room face to face and like making friends. You know, a, a lot of our our social interactions these days are, are via Facebook and Twitter, and you know, those are great. But there, there's nothing that like replaces a feeling like you get today, where you're in a room with people and you're you know you can kind of have face to face discussion. I think like board games, you know, most of the the enjoyment you get out of it is because it's with other people, uh, and I think. There are, you know, there's a there's a big opportunity to expand the reach of our hobby. You know, we can pull more people in if we just make it easier to find, you know, these wonderful people in the room. And that's sort of what I'm trying to do is, uh, you know, kind of pull in people who would be like, maybe they don't think of themselves as board gamers. Maybe they don't like play every week, but they might go, oh, I'd, I'd play some board games to make some new friends. You know, I'd I'd come along to uh, an event or two. Uh, and that's sort of the the ultimate goal is to, you know, get beyond kind of the the small group of us that there are and hopefully widen the hobby. It, it's in a, <laughs> in a way, it's a little bit like pyramid sales. I was brought by Gavin to my first board game on Friday the 13th, actually, and we played Friday the 13th. And I had never played a game apart from like, you know, Scrabble and Christmas games. And so, and it was fun. And so, you know, you get suckered in. Yeah, that's it, and and I think you know, I think people sort of uh, have this this vision of like what what board games are like because you know we, we played Monopoly when we were kids or Cluedo, and you're sort of like oh god it goes on forever and you don't have that much fun, and okay there are some games that are, are you know lenty, but it's I loved Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I I wasn't such a, a fan. I suppose when I was a kid I was a fan, but I think you know there there are better games out there, and it's sort of. Um, Trying to, trying to encourage people to just come along and play uh, and meet new people. So, so today, I mean, there's a, so there's a huge table of games here. Most of them I've never heard of. I didn't realize that games could be so involved. But there are, you were talking about childhood, there are some old favorites. One of my favorite travel games as a kid is over there, Past the Pigs. 
Pacific is a great game. Yeah, that is a very good game. Uh, and there are some some really like great classic games. Uh, another game that's over there is I think it's uh, 42 years old and it's Cosmic Encounter and it's one of the best rated games and it's never aged. You know, it's a, it's a game that like people still play 40 years later, which is amazing. Yeah, it, it's there, there are definitely and, and I think there are a lot of gamers uh, who. Kind of over time, like the more games you play, the more interested you are in playing complex games. But equally, a lot of people in this room love party games, uh, and you know a lot of the the games that get played uh, at the regular board game Ireland meetups on Tuesdays and Sundays are, you know, kind of quick, kind of easy games and introductory games because a lot of people who come to those meetups, you know, are new every week, um, and that's nice. Like a lot of those games, you know, are. Kind of 45 minutes, and you know, you end up like laughing at the end of them. And a few times today, there's been like large uh, kind of guffaws and uh, laughter from the corners. Uh, and that's mostly from the games that like are, you know, just kind of like silly, like hidden role games or you know, uh, like the word games. And I think there's a word game tournament on later on. Uh, you know, and there's such variety in the games that are around today uh, that you know, there's almost something for everyone. And then from a social point of view, I suppose it's quite interesting because if you think about it, most people are quite anxious meeting new people. But coming to play a game, there's a very kind of specific time frame in which you're going to be all interacting. There's kind of rules. It's a bit like going to church, but without, you know, <laughs> without the religion. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right because... Uh like one of the one of the reasons that they're they're so good for meeting people is that you have something to talk about, you know, and, and like you're meeting people that you don't necessarily maybe have anything in common with, and that's sort of you know like in a normal so social circumstance that can be difficult. It can be like, oh, what do we talk about? You know, you've got that kind of quiet period. When you've got a game in front of you, you can talk about the game, and that can lead you into just wider conversations and you know kind of make friends easier. I think. So you can have a bit of chit chat, and then if there's an awkward silence, you can just say, "It's your go." Yeah, that's that's it exactly. You know, and, and that's great. You know, there's never a moment where you're like, you know, "Oh, this is weird," because you know, there there are natural silences in games, and there's natural pauses, and yeah, I, I like them for that. You know, they're a good way to meet new people. And actually, because, particularly in the complex games where you actually do need thinking time, silence is actually part of it, and silence is something in modern life that we're trained to avoid. Yeah, and it's, it's sort of, um, it can be nice, like a lot of the, the complex games, there are definitely points where everyone is sort of studiously thinking about what they're going to do. But also, when there is a long game like that, uh, it also gives you more opportunities to talk, you know, because like if somebody is taking a little while to decide what they're doing, you know, it gives everyone else at the table those opportunities to like find out about each other and like, you know, learn what they're up to and what their lives are like. Well, we all just whilst we're waiting for someone to have the, their go at this game that I was just at, um, we discussed all the presidential candidates and their pros and cons. So, yeah, it's exactly that, you know. And it's sort of like the things that you can kind of think of while playing a game to, to talk about. You know, there's always things in the game that kind of lend discussion uh, and broaden the, the kind of the, the subject matter that you're uh, you're talking about. Well, absolutely fascinating, and thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you. So do you want to tell me what you're playing today? We're playing Founders of Gloomhaven. Uh, and it is sort of a combined worker placement, area control, resource management game. Uh, tile laying. A lot of tile laying. Um, yeah, it's good. And how far into the game are you? Oh, uh, we are right now in the middle, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I think the answer to that I question am quite is lost. yes. Yeah, yes exactly. is the answer to that question. Uh, my first time playing it, I think these guys also my first, first time playing it, and you've played plus one games on that, on that so we're... We don't know, is we the quick know. answer. <laughs> and are you guys quite experienced board gamers? Have you been playing games for a long time? Um, yeah, I guess I have been. Yeah, oh, quite a while. Yeah, we play the board game meetup usually on Sunday and Tuesday, most of the time, so yeah. experience. Yeah, also Sundays, mostly Sunday for me, I play with the group. So, marks out of 10 for this one so far? Huh? Marks out of 10 for this one so far? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's too soon. Honestly, I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll come back and ask you later. Thank you. <laughs> that yeah. would be a good plan. Yeah, exactly. So I'm here with Daniel, who has designed a brand new game. And he's hoping to raise 
a shed load of money for it, I think, on Kickstarter. So we're here, we've got three guys who are helping him test the game out here today. Um, tell us a little bit about what the game is called, because I can see it's H-E-K-A-T-E. I don't know how to pronounce that. Tell us what the game is called and a bit about how it works. All right. Um, so hello, everyone. And uh, this is Masters of Get Town, which is a full contact dice bustling game, uh, as in a literal sense, because what you do here, and you will probably hear, but really arena here which we custom built for the game and it is it serves as a, as a physical bounder to to have your dice thrown into and then uh, you can change any and every single value that you have in there and therefore there people are trying to attack each other and then there is defensive turns as well and uh, all you have to do is to kill everybody else so in terms of what we're looking at there's a kind of perspex hexagon where yeah. How many sides does a hexagon have? Oh, it is six. Yeah, I got it right. There's like a perspex hexagon, and so you're throwing the dice in, and then you guys all have, is it different colored dice? Um, yeah, well, you have a set of dice, uh, whereas you, you play with them. So there is a, uh, so this is my set here, and I'm showing uh, nine dice here. Uh, nine? No, it's not nine, sorry. <laughs> it's seven, actually. So, uh, one of which is a 14 mil die, which will be engraved whenever we, we go into production, and that will enable your character to activate his or her own ability. So, there are... And so, and this has got a kind of Bowie-like swoosh on it, a bit like he used to draw on his cheekbone. Kind of, yeah, but um, don't don't be misled by the, the art. <laughs> so, everything is written down. So, yeah. Um, the, the basic concept is that you have three chances to throw every single turn and then the sum of that will be your sum of the score and whoever you are fighting against has to throw more or equal of that to, in order to defend the attack. If there is any difference, you will take some damage. However, there are some weapons in the game and then you are able to gain ammunition throughout the gameplay with whatever you throw, so there are certain mechanics involving that. And then you have a life score. And whenever that life score goes down to zero, you are eliminated from the game. So this is an elimination game. And how far into the game are you guys? Uh, we, we are like maybe halfway through. So the score is now, I have four health. Uh, Aneta has like uh, 11, so she is way in the lead. Uh, he has eight, and then there is eight health there as well. Um, and with, with again, with various mechanics, a certain character does some damage, as in ability goes. So, uh, with the engraved dice, whenever you have this showing on the board, then you activate a certain type of ability, and then some characters do some damage, some characters do something else. So, for instance, uh, him do blind throws. So you have to throw blindfolded while you are throwing the die in. So that is an impairing ability. Um, and there are 16 different characters in the game, all of which are unique. And so I've been speaking to a few people doing different games here today. Some are more competitive than others. You're in the lead. How, how have you found it in terms of the competition? Pardon? Sorry. Have you found it quite competitive to play? Of course, every single time. I'm in it to win it, obviously. Uh, no, no, not necessarily. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is an elimination, and therefore it's a very competitive game. Uh, however, um, there are mm, several types that you can play this. So there is an uh, an option to play as a as in a team. And with competitive games and elimination, there is a big question of downtime, right? Uh, we try to have as little downtime as possible while offering uh, shared health, for instance, in, in team play. So there will be no downtime whatsoever. There is another way to play this, which is uh, throughout boss fights. So there is a character which has like super special abilities and you all fight against him. Uh, and that will be a stretch goal uh, um, in, in a, the Kickstarter campaign whenever we go, which is hopefully in October. But, uh, but yeah, this is built for competition. And is this the first game that you've designed? Yes. <laughs> and is this the first time you've tested it or have you tested it ahead of today? No, this is like a very, very long process. So, uh, I met my partner, who is the designer actually of the looks of the game, and I am the ideal designer of this game. Um, 
and this has been a three-year process already. So uh, we have been presenting the UK Games Expo last year, as well as in here as well, uh, and then this year too. So uh, it is time to, to launch because we have tested everything. We have a manufacturer to make it. So um, yeah, we are building reputation for it at this stage. And would it be manufactured here in Ireland or would it be another country that it's made in? I guess it's, you kind of think China and these kind of countries are where things often get made. It is, it is, it is China, yeah. China is the manufacturer that will make it, but uh, unfortunately we didn't find any competitive goods manufacturer that could produce everything here. So we have 185 components in this game, which is a lot. And then uh, therefore the costs will be quite high to manufacture it and China is the place where we can go and to do that. And is the end game that you would distribute the game yourself or are you hoping it would get picked up by a publisher? Uh, no, we are going for self-publishing and self-distributing via Kickstarter. I'm going to just talk to all the guys who've been playing today and just ask, how's your experience of the game been? Um, I think it's a good game. Um, I invited quite a few people to actually join me to play this game. I've been helping Daniel promote as much as I can and every single time it doesn't fail to just, you know, give us fun and joy. So personally I really like the game and I enjoy playing every single time. And you've had to throw your dice blindfolded, how's that gone for you? It's a completely different game. I've never played such a game before, so yeah, it's different, like you know, from the regular games that I play. And I wish Daniel all the luck, you know, when he's presenting. Yeah. And did they actually make you wear a blindfold, or did you just close your eyes? No, it was. Uh, it didn't make me wear a blindfold, but yeah, because just you know, have your hands over the eyes. And... Thanks very much, and best of luck with the game. Thank you. So. Thank you again to Norma Burke for recording that and thank you to everyone who took the time to uh, out of your busy play schedules to uh, to speak with her. Um, so um, other news, anything else? Oh, yeah, yes. I should mention as well that uh, in my day job and the reason why our podcast tends to sound pretty good and not like it's recorded in a shoebox somewhere is because uh, my day job is I work in a community radio station called Near FM. And uh, the idea of a community radio station is we train anyone who wants to make radio how to make radio and then give them time on air. Uh, But... I think radio isn't to be all and end all at the moment, so podcasts are becoming more and more important. So I recently launched a little our own little platform as a like a pilot scheme uh, called Nearcast, which is our own sort of podcast platform where we will train people how to make podcasts, let them use our studios to do, uh, use it to do nice a decent quality podcast, and then we'll also host. And because I was looking at some of the prices of hosting podcasts, is ridiculous, and so we do our own hosting we do all in-house so that's all set up so at the moment it's just Board Games Ireland is one of the inaugural podcasts on the Nearcast service and there are also uh, there's also a Poem of the Week uh, um, podcast and there's also one called Storybud which is just two nice women talking about things <laughs> and yeah feel free to have a listen to them on, and that's all on, on nearcast.ie and just also just to give a small plug for something else we're running a documentary seminar on Saturday the 29th of September so at the end of the month so there's still time to get tickets for that Uh, and basically that's just going to be a day of like people's training and speakers uh, telling you how to make a good radio documentary for either broadcast or for um, uh, podcasting as well so if you want to be the next serial uh, it could be a good place to start because I would like to start getting us doing more of that sort of um, narrative based documentary content and putting it on the Nearcast service so that's just uh, some fun Uh, like if you're interested check it out because there's Think it's still available. Um, other news. Uh, I'm not going to go anything into board game news or anything like that. So just basically board game Ireland stuff. Uh, Halloween is coming up, and Gabriella, who has hosted our Bake Off events, uh, is currently organising a Halloween party. So don't know how much actual gaming needs to be done at the Halloween party. It's it's fine for us to just socialise and dress up. Uh, maybe board game related dress up. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of Sherlock Holmes board games you dress up as a foot maybe <laughs> um, so yeah that is going to be on Friday the 26th of October in the back page in Fibsborough a little out of the city centre uh, so it's not exactly easy for me to get there because I'd have to get a bus and turn a bus out or walk but it will be a lot cheaper for me to get a taxi home so 
every cloud silver lining so I'm happy enough for the back page location that's also a, uh, a board game friendly location as well that pub uh, so yeah watch out for that I'll put all the details in the post that accompanies this podcast and we will be back soon with a regular podcast non BiggieCon special podcast and uh, we'll have Frank back on and maybe some other guests as well so so watch out for that and thank you for listening thank you for coming to BiggieCon and thank you <laughs> goodbye